In today's lesson, you are going to learn how to become a super Hey, hey, what is going on, all you beautiful people out there? My fellow and future entrepreneurs, millionaires, amazing people changing the world one day at a time, one life at a time, starting with your own, then your family, and then everyone else you impact. You guys are amazing. So as I mentioned in the intro, today we are going to learn how to become super communicators. Who doesn't want to be a super communicator, right? Just the name sounds amazing. So what exactly am I referring to? A few years ago, I read a book that most of you have probably heard of called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. This book changed my life. And about a month ago, as I was going through my emails somewhat quickly, because these were emails of people who wanted to be on the podcast, and we get a lot of them every single day, and we're pretty selective, and obviously we can't have everyone come on. But I saw one email that really stood out to me, and it said it was from Charles Duhigg. I had to take a double take. I was like, oh, this has to be a mistake, has to be like a scam or something weird. And I read through the email, and sure enough, it was from him. It was from the one and only Charles Duhigg. And he was reaching out to let me know about his new book, Super Communicators, and asked if I would like an early edition. And of course, I said yes. I got both the written and audio version, and I devoured that thing. And let me tell you, this book was incredible. I had so many ahas, so many takeaways. And the best part is, is I was able to hop on a call with Charles after reading the book to talk about some of those takeaways and to dive deeper. And overall, it was just an amazing experience and something that I learned so much from and different skills and techniques that I've been applying every day since then. So that's what we have for you today. And I couldn't be more excited for you to hear this discussion. You're going to love it. And I highly recommend getting the book. It just came out two days before this episode. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, rise to your feet, put your hands together for the one and only Charles Duhigg as we discuss how to become a super communicator. So the way that I got interested in communication was because I was doing a bad job of communicating with my spouse and at work. And this thing would happen pretty consistently that I think a lot of people have experienced that I would come home from work after having a bad day and I would start complaining to my wife and I'd say like, my boss is a jerk and everyone else doesn't understand me. And my wife very reasonably would say, why don't you take your boss out to lunch so you guys get to know each other a little bit better and you know that'll probably... And instead of hearing what she was saying, I would just like explode. Like, I'd be like, what? You're not listening to me. I want you to have my side. Like, you should be outraged on my behalf. And this would happen at work a lot too, right? I had I was working at the New York Times and they just made me a manager. And I was really good at the logistics part of the job and kept on screwing up communicating with people, which was confusing to me because I'm a journal, I'm a communicator, right? Like I'm supposed to be really good at this. <laughs> I started calling all these experts and it turns out we're living through like this golden age of understanding the neurology of communication. And I asked them what was going on and they said, okay, look, here's the mistake you're making. You, like most people, think that a discussion is one thing, right? You're talking about where to go on vacation next summer, or you're talking about your marriage. But actually, every discussion is made up of multiple kinds of conversations. And almost all of those conversations fall into one of three buckets. There's a practical conversation. What's this really about? What do we really want to talk about? There's an emotional conversation where the goal of that is not to come up with a plan or fix a problem. The goal is just to understand how each other feels. And then finally, there's a social conversation, which is about how do we relate to each other as people? How do we relate to each other given all the social pressures around us, the internet, our kids? And they said, look, when you're coming home after that tough day, you're having an emotional conversation. You're going up to your wife and you're having an emotional conversation. And she's responding perfectly reasonable with a practical conversation. And because you're having different kinds of conversations at the same time, you can't hear each other. Mm. Now, the key here is this thing called the matching principle, which is what we know from all the research is if we manage to match each other, to have the same kind of conversation at the same time, then we will start to connect. And once we do that, if I'm clearly in an emotional state of mind and my wife responds to me emotionally, she says, it looks like you're really upset. I hear that you like are really frustrated. Once we begin to link up, it's called neural entrainment, then 
she can move on to a practical conversation and I'll move with her. So the matching principle basically says the way to communicate is to figure out what kind of conversation is going on and match the other person or invite them to match you. Because once you're in sync, then you can move from conversation to conversation to conversation and you'll do it together. First, at the very beginning, I was like, Charles, get out of my head, man. <laughs> when you're talking about you came home and you're I'm like, wait, is this, is this me speaking, right? You said there's three different kinds of conversations. Is that right? Right. What are those again? So it's the practical conversation, the emotional conversation, and the social conversation. And here's an easy way to remember them or to ask people what kind of conversation they want. They teach this in schools now. They teach teachers that when a student comes up and they, they're upset about something or they have a question or there's just something meaningful they want to talk about, the teacher should ask them, before we get into this, this conversation, do you want me to help you? Do you want me to hear you? Or do you want me to hug you? Okay. A help, hear, hug. And those are actually the three kinds of conversations, right? The practical, the emotional, and the social. And think about what would happen if you come home and you're upset and you're talking to your wife and she says, do you want me to help you? Do you want me to hear you? Or do you want me to hug you? Then you're going to be able to say like, I want you to help me figure out how to solve this problem. Or you're going to say, I want you to just listen to hear me to like hear how frustrated I am or to hug me. Like I'm in a really bad mood and I need some support, some emotional support. Like I need you to come like be on my side. And now she knows what you need. From what you're saying, as long as we know which conversation we're having and we sync up. And I think you said it's called neural and neural entrainment. When you sync up on the conversation you're having, you're on the same page. That's when you connect and then you can go to any conversation or do you have to have the emotional conversation first? No, you can go to any conversation. It doesn't matter what you have first. Okay. It's just the instance you were giving, you were having an emotional discussion and your wife didn't, you guys didn't sync up on that. Yeah. It doesn't matter which conversation you're in. It just matters that you're in the same kind of conversation. And what happens is actually kind of interesting, this neural entrainment I mentioned. So if you can look inside people's brains and they've done this in laboratories, when people do have the same kind of conversation, when they start to connect, their brain waves start to look the same. But at the same time, also their eye, their pupils will start dilating at the same rate. Their breath and heart patterns will start to match each other. So even though you and I are doing this over the internet, we're separated by hundreds of miles. That's true for you and I as well. Like if we could study our pupils, we would see our pupils are actually starting to match each other. And most importantly, our brain waves are starting to match each other. That's what communication is. Crazy. I'll have to analyze the video after and look at our pupils because because I'm, I'm connecting here. I'm feeling yeah, it. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so the name of the book is Super Communicators. And the reason why it's named that is because there are some people who are particularly talented at detecting what kind of conversation is happening and knowing how to match others and invite them to match themselves. And we all have moments of this, right? We are all at various moments super communicators. You are a super communicator to your wife. She is to you. You're probably, you know how to like walk into a meeting and you just like knock it out of the park or you know exactly what a friend needs to hear. But then there's other times when we want to do that and it just doesn't happen. Yes, yes. That, that's why I was kind of like, yeah, sometimes. My wife and I joke about how sometimes we're like, this, this isn't working. I'm just joking. I'm joking kind of, right? <laughs> but it's happened. But, and then there's other times where we literally think we should be marriage counselors. We are so good. Like, And then there's other times I'm like, how are we even together? Like, how does this work? (laughs) And so what's the difference, right? Like, it's the same people. So here's the difference, I think, is that people who are consistently super communicators, they've just taught themselves to think half an inch deeper about this stuff. They've taught themselves to notice what kind of conversation is going on. They know how to, to diagnose that. They know how to match each other. And my guess is those moments when you and your wife are marriage counselors, it's because you're relaxed enough and you're observant enough that even if you're not realizing it, you're picking up on what's underneath the conversation and that's helping you guys come together. Yeah. Anyone can learn to do that anytime. The super communication is not an inborn trait. It's not like some people are born better at it than others. It's literally a set of skills that anyone can learn. Yeah. I love that. So, okay, let's go through this a little more. I might keep drilling over the, some of these same principles. I'm very interested in this. Sure. So practical, emotional, social. Help, hear, hug. I mean, we've all heard it, right? They say guys are typically known for this, but I get a feeling you're kind of, sometimes my wife and I were switched in the stereotypes. And I know the goal is not to be stereotypical, right? But 
sometimes I'm a little more emotional. I need to be heard a little more. My, my wife might want to try to fix it. And it sounds like you had the same situation. So that happens sometimes, right? And, and sometimes it flips, right? My wife comes home with an emotional problem and I'm like, okay, here's what you need to do. Like here, here's, here's the solution. And she's like, screw you, buddy. Like, <laughs> I don't want your solutions. And, it, and then you get ticked because yeah. you're trying to help someone. You're like, you came to me. I'm trying to help you. And we've all heard that though. We've, I think we've all heard of the, do you want help or do you want to be heard? But it's still confusing because sometimes I do want, as I tell my wife, I was like, sometimes I do want the problem to be fixed. Sometimes I do want you to help me with something. Yeah. But I think you're right. Sometimes it's obvious to know that, but it's not always obvious. So what are the cues? Like, how do you know? And, and do you always just say, maybe just ask? So one thing you can do is you can ask. You can say, like, do you want me to, like, just listen to you? Or do you want me to fix your problem? You can use help, hugged, heard. But here's the, like, overall way to do it. It's always about asking a question. And some questions are more powerful than others. And the most powerful questions, the questions that really help you figure out what that other person needs and what they're trying to say is what's known as a deep question. And a deep question is something that asks someone something about their values, their beliefs, or their experiences. And it's a little misleading because deep question makes it sound like it should be like some heavy, hard thing. But a lot of deep questions don't even appear like deep questions. So like there's a guy named Nick Epley, who's a professor at the University of Chicago. He's like an expert on this stuff. His favorite example is like, you go up to someone, you say like, what do you do for a living? And they say, I'm a lawyer. And then you say, oh my gosh, that's, that's so interesting. Did you always want to be a lawyer? When did you decide to go to law school? Do you like being a lawyer? Like, is it your love? Like, do you, are you passionate about it? All those questions are totally natural follow-up questions, right? They don't seem like, oh, too intimate. All of them are deep questions. Because think what I just asked that guy or gal. I asked them to tell me about their childhood and when they decided to become a lawyer. I asked them whether they love their job and where their passion is. I asked them to talk to me about the decision to go to law school, like how they made that decision. Every single one of those answers is going to tell me something about this person. And particularly if I'm trying to figure out what kind of conversation they want, the difference between someone saying like, you know, I decided to go to law school because I graduated from college. I didn't know what else to do. I wanted a high paying job and this was great versus someone who says, you know, I saw my dad get screwed over by the courts. I wanted to fight for underdogs like him. Those two answers just told you this first person, they want a practical conversation. This second person, they want an emotional conversation. They've told you what they're looking for. And at that point, you can match them, right? You can say like, that's interesting. Like I've had experience in justice myself. You can invite them to match you by saying like, that's really interesting. I'm thinking about what to tell my kid about his future. Like, do you have any advice for someone who might want to go to law school? But that question and that deep question, that is the first and most important step towards figuring out what's going on. So this is super powerful and I'll probably listen to your book. I don't, I don't read or listen to a ton of books, <laughs> but I really enjoyed your book. I enjoyed your, your other works that you've done. And I think I'm going to have to study this some more because I personally believe that communication is probably the single most important skill we can learn in this life. And I believe connection and relationships are the most important, valuable thing that we can have, right? And that's what your book is all about. Well, and when we talk about creating financial success, right, and professional success, communication is at the dead center of that. 100%. I mean, nothing happens without communication. My personality is it sometimes takes me a while to grasp concepts. I have ADD. Like, I'm pretty sure I have all kinds of learning disabilities. I think we all do to a degree, right? I'm not, you know, I, I'm able to function, right? Like I got decent grades and I got the bare minimum test on my ACT to allow me to get a football scholarship, right? So I, I can get by, but I literally remember going to class and like an entire class would go by and I didn't remember a word the teacher said or being literally at BYU, like in division one football and then talking about film, something that's really important. And like uh, 10 minutes go by, I'm like, wait, what just happened? Right? So it takes me a while to grasp concepts, but just talking through these things with you and listening to your book, I feel like e even if people are take a minute to grasp some of the concepts of like, okay, what question, like just the being aware, just listening to your book is causing me to be so much more aware. And if we get an argument seeing like, oh, let me backtrack here and apologize. Like, hey, I'm sorry. I realized you were trying to have this conversation. I was trying to have another conversation with you. And that didn't connect with you because that's not what you were looking for. That's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Am I making any sense here? 
No, you absolutely are. And what I love about what you just said, and it's very kind of you, I'm so happy that like you found that in the book. What I hear you saying, and I think this is exactly right, is this is what the research tells us. Yeah. We all have these instincts on how to communicate. Human being superpower is communication. That's what sets us apart from other species. And we have instincts that have evolved over millions and millions of years. Now, in contemporary society, oftentimes we get in our own way because now we're communicating over like text and email and phone and Skype and blah, 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 blah. So there's a lot going on. So the goal of the book is not to like teach you a bunch of things you have to remember, a bunch of things to think about. It's actually to teach you how to rely on your instincts Mm. because you have great communication instincts. That's why you and your wife sometimes are marriage counselors, right? Because your (laughs) instincts are coming out. It feels really natural. And the goal of the book is to say, look, here's how to think about communication. And now that you know that, you don't have to think about it. Now that you know it, your instincts are going to take that. And when when you hear someone saying something emotional, it's going to feel totally instinctual for you to kind of meet that emotion and match that emotion. If someone comes to you and they say something, it's going to feel easy to ask a deep question because you've just gotten in the habit of it. Yeah. So it's not stuff that you're exactly right. There's a lot of information in the book. There's a lot that you can learn from it. But I think the way it's most effective is to expose yourself to the ideas and then just take a step back and say like, I'm just going to try and let these come out on their own. Mm -hmm. Because the truth is your brain is this amazingly evolved, precise instrument for communication. And all we have to do is kind of get out of the way to let it do its thing. I love that. So you've helped me solve, improve my marriage. So let's move on to my (laughs) 13-year-old. Excellent, excellent. (laughs) Love all my kids. They're amazing. I always thought I would be like just the best dad ever. And I I think I'm a good dad, but I will say my 13-year-old and I, we butt heads a lot in our communication, right? So it's, it's challenging because it's like, I feel this responsibility to be his father. And as, as a father, I f- could be wrong, but I feel like it is kind of my job to help give him guidance and direction. Otherwise, it's like, okay, maybe go live on your own and we'll see you on the weekends. You know? right. so, <laughs> so it's kind of it's conflicting to me. But I also know we're not, this isn't the 19, like, I don't know, 50, and I'm not to be stereotypical once again, right? Like, I'm, But the goal is to have like a good relationship. And I feel like every time I'm like what I would consider or at least considered, cause I'm trying to change my perspective, being a good dad and giving him direction and guidance and teaching him. I feel like it comes across as unintentionally like criticism and I'm like on him all the time or he sees it that way. Totally. I'm just trying to figure out like, how do we have this relationship where I still am able to fulfill my role as a, a father of giving guidance? Cause Let's be honest, on his own, he would eat candy all day and play and, you know, maybe not get good grades. But anyway, I think you get what I'm getting at. Like, Absolutely. And it's hard with teenagers. And it's particularly hard with teenagers because for the first time, they're trying to figure out how to be in control, right? How to be in control of themselves, like how to have agency in the world. They're not little kids anymore. Yeah. And the question you're asking comes up not only in our conversations with teenagers, it also comes up when we're having conversations where there's a little bit of tension or a little bit of conflict. Mm -hmm. And there is this one technique we had talked about a little bit before that is kind of magical in this respect. So, and they teach it at like, you know, Harvard law school. This is like the number one thing that they teach negotiators. It's called looping for understanding. Yes. That's how it works. It's just three steps. So step one, ask that question, right? Ask that deep question, ask something that's going to get the other person to talk about something that matters to them. Step number two, repeat back what they just said in your own words. And then step number three, and this is the step that most of us forget to do, ask that person if you got it right. Now, the reason why this is so powerful and why this is going to be so powerful for your son is when you're having conflict with him, my guess is, and tell me if I'm getting this wrong, is that he feels like you're not really listening to him. Like he feels like, I came to dad with this problem and dad gave me the same answer every single time, which is like, I should be more responsible or should try harder or whatever it is. Dad's not listening to me. And the thing about communication is when we are speaking, it is such a cognitively intense activity that we can't really pay attention to how other people are acting. So like when your kid's talking to you, even if you're looking at him and you're nodding your head and you're showing you're listening, he's not going to notice it because it's just too intense to speak. So the way that we prove to someone that we're listening to them is what we say after they're done speaking. 
And this looping for understanding, you ask that question, repeat back what you heard, and then ask them if you got it right. If you do that, and this is again, hardwired into our brains, it's almost impossible for your kid or anyone else not to feel like you're listening to them. And as soon as they believe you are listening, they will become more likely to listen to you. Again, this is like an, an instinct that's hardwired in our brains. We, we almost can't fight it. So tell me about the last fight you had with your 13-year-old. Well, I mean, I'll just tell you like a typical situation. And, and this is partly me because I, this is the reason why I do this podcast and why I'm constantly wanting to help people. Like it's just in my bones, right? Which can be, you know, maybe I'm a fixer, maybe I'm whatever, right? <laughs> like we'll go to family reunions and I try to find the person struggling the most <laughs> or like in a party <laughs> who's struggling the most and like, let's get you going because there's hope, like we can do this, right? So I see it as like, you're so lucky to have, you know, <laughs> I'm not charging you, or like, right? You're so right. lucky. <laughs> can you believe you're getting this advice for free? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I can actually believe it. So right. a typical situation is I'll come out and I'll start out by, hey, how's it going? And I think he like he knows what's coming, right? It's like, yeah, I don't even feel like I have the intention of like getting on his case, but it's like, how's it going? How you doing? How do you sleep well? What's going on today? And then I'm like, Okay, so what do you got planned today? You know, it's like, let's be productive. Like, and then I'm like, are the dishes done? Like, your chores done? How's your homework going? Are you studying? What I'm hearing you say is you ask your kid a question. He probably answers that question. And instead of showing that you heard his answer, you're just jumping on to your thing, right? You're jumping on to like... Probably, but I think he doesn't like the small talk. Like, I think he just... You know what I mean? Like, I genuinely do want to know. I'd love to conversate with him. Like... Really? How are you doing? But there's not a lot of that going on. <laughs> Let's try this. I'm going to be you and you be your son. And we're going to try something. Okay. Okay. What, what's your son's name? Kaysen. Okay. So Kaysen. Hey, Kaysen. Like what's going on with you today? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me one thing you did this morning. Like, did you hang out with your friends? Uh, no, just had breakfast. Not a whole lot. I don't know. Okay. So what I hear you saying is like, it hasn't been that exciting a day for you. Maybe you wish that you like had, that there was something more fun you could have done or like something like a little exciting. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bored. Okay. So, okay. So here's the question. So like, if you're a little bored, what would be a plan to, that you think would be exciting? If you could do anything you, you wanted, what would you do today? If I could do anything I want. <laughs> yeah. See now, and now your kid's into it, right? But I think what you're showing by doing that, I mean, it's basically the same thing you did because I got to that plan, right? That's like, what's the plan for today? Yeah. And what you'll find, I found this with my kids, so I think you will too, that like mm -hmm. when you get in this pattern, when they expect you to listen, part of it is he's not answering the questions because he doesn't expect you to listen to, to what he's saying. That's a good point, yeah. But once you start proving to him that you're listening, you're like, what I hear you saying is, am I getting that right? Then the next time you say like, what's going on with you? He's actually going to have an answer. And I think what's cool about what you're teaching now and what you teach in the book is it doesn't mean you have to like 100% agree. I think that's where my hangup has been. I think it's been like if I ask him what his what he'd like to do, that that means I'm saying he can do it, right? It's just once they feel like they're heard. And we've actually done this looping for understanding at least two or three times in the past few weeks with my wife and I, and I've done it with him a couple times. Now we've typically done it when something gets heated. Then we're like, okay, we, we've called it like, let's do the framework. It's our framework, right? That we've been using. Right? So, so say, okay, let's do the framework. And then one person speaks and they share what uh, is bothering them or what's on their mind. And the other person can't talk. There's like how you teach it, right? Tell me if I'm doing it wrong. The other person doesn't speak at all. They just listen. And then afterwards they have to prove to them. Like, I love the example you give in the book of like the gun control debate, right? It's like classic example. And you have to prove that you're listening and you prove that you actually understand. And it was so hard, but I've done it a couple of times with him. And afterwards it feels so powerful. And with my wife and I, and with him, we just like almost start tearing up, right? Because you feel heard, you feel understood. Well, And you said something really smart and really important, which is, you don't have to agree with them. Just because you listen, oftentimes when we hear someone say something and we don't agree with them, our instinct is to show our disagreement. But they don't know, because we're like, look, I, maybe I can convince them differently, or I just want to like let them know where I stand on this. But they don't know that we've actually heard what they were saying. They don't know that we're genuinely responding to them as opposed to just waiting for our turn to talk. 
And simply saying, like, what I heard you say is that if you could do anything today, you would eat candy all day long and play video games. I would love to work with you, like, a little bit of candy, a little bit of video games. Like, let's figure out what we do the rest of the day. Yeah. Then he knows that, like, you're not just waiting for your turn to speak, but he also knows that you don't agree with him. And simply showing him you've listened isn't – it's like in Twitter when they say, like, retweet is not an endorsement – just because you're repeating what your son said, it doesn't mean you're endorsing it. It means you're proving to him that you heard it. A thought I just had as, as you were speaking, too, what was, what was interesting is I've been surprised. The, the two times that I did this really well with him, as I truly listened and put down all my ego, just like, take a deep breath, <laughs> and wasn't trying to think about like how to win, because the goal is not to win. The goal is to listen, as you talk about. As I did that, what was interesting is like, wait, he is right. I do agree with him, you know? Yeah. So I think that was super powerful. And you may not always agree, but in that case, I did. And I think when we're just trying to win and prove our own agenda, we can't come to that understanding or that we can't realize that he he does have a point, you know? Yeah. And I think you said something smart, which is when you relax and you just really try and listen. One of the nice things about looping for understanding or the framework, I like I like your guys' name for it too, is if you're saying to yourself, my job is to hear what this person is saying and repeat it back to them in my own words, you can't start arguing in your own head. You actually have to pay attention, right? You're like listening to your kid because you're going to want to say back in your own words what they're telling you. Now you've gotten yourself out of that like loop in your mind where like instead of listening, you're just preparing to your next argument. Yeah. It's a great way to be in the moment, to achieve that mindfulness in the conversation, which is really what listening is. Well, I think what's so powerful about this book and the things that I've been trying to learn as a, as a parent with a son that is 18 now, an adult, right? That's been interesting. And then teenagers is I think I thought my role as a parent was to make sure my kids don't eat too much candy or play too many video games so they get good grades. And I think all those are part of that. But I think even more important is allowing my kids to figure things out for themselves and, and making sure they know that they are heard and loved and understood. And not making sure because it's not perfect, but I think that's even more powerful. I think it's incredibly powerful and also modeling for them, right? Like modeling like we can have different opinions and we can still talk to each other. We can believe in different things, hopefully not radically different things, but we can believe different things and still try and understand the other person. Because honestly, like even if your kids ate tons of sugar and they played tons of video games, if they went out into the real world and they know how to listen to other people and they know how to hear what they're really saying and show that hearing, prove that hearing, they're going to be successes. I mean, they might have lots of cavities, but they're going to be successes, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, the funny thing is they'll probably eat less sugar on their own. Yeah. If we're not constantly harping on them for it, right? Exactly. Like, and and they'll learn how to listen to other people, like doctors who are like, you shouldn't just eat sugar, right? <laughs> so you've mentioned this in the book, but we live in a time and age where there is just so much division. And I think that's a combination of social media and just where we are politically in the world. And something that I would like to think that I really try for, like me and my brother, when we get together, like we're always trying to see like, politically and different views, like the other really genuinely trying to understand, not, not disprove. It's kind of challenging sometimes because my parents are a little more stuck in their like (laughs) political views. And sometimes unintentionally we'll get in like discussions with them, even though we don't really think this perspective will take the other perspective just because we're trying to be open, but then we're probably not being open to that. Anyway, it's kind of a funny thing, but it's so powerful. Like if we focus on, Seeking to understand. If the game changes, you're not trying to win. You're trying to understand. That's exactly right. There's so many times people call each other names and all this stuff. And it's like, you just haven't been in their shoes. You haven't walked where they walked. You don't have the experiences they have. You talked about this in the book with the gun situation in in DC. Like, what are some ways to do that with your neighbors or anyone, maybe not even your neighbors, but people that you totally have different perspectives of. And we instinctively sometimes think, they're a bad person. How do we work through that? So it's a really, really good question. And a lot of those are like social conversations, right? Because we're talking about how we relate to each other, how we relate to society. You know, there's a couple of stories in the book 
they kind of relate exactly to this. There's this great story about a, a CIA officer who like on his first posting is about to get fired and he has to recruit his first spy and it's going terribly until he figures it out. There's another like story that I kind of love about how NASA chooses its astronauts by paying attention to how they laugh and like when they laugh and how loud it is. And, and that actually informed how the TV series, the big bang theory was made. Mm -hmm. But I think underlying all that is something that gets exactly what you're talking about, which is when we are talking to someone, when we're in conversation with someone who is different from us, should we acknowledge those differences or should we ignore them? Oftentimes it feels like it's more polite to ignore them. If I'm rich and you're poor or I'm black and you're white or X or Y or Z, it sort of feels like we should like paper over that and like pretend like that doesn't exist. But what study after study shows is that's actually the wrong way to approach this. The right way to approach this is to invite someone's full self into a conversation. Not if it doesn't make any sense, but like pretend I don't have any children. Like if I said like you as a father probably see things differently than I do when it comes to like taxes or politics because I don't have any kids, which isn't true. I actually have two kids. But by acknowledging who you are, acknowledging your identity by doing that, I'm inviting you to enter that conversation more. And that feels good. And this comes up a lot. There's a, there's a chapter about Netflix. They had this thing that happened a couple of years ago where there was a senior executive who in a meeting used the N-word. And the whole company kind of just like started coming apart at the seams. There was like a civil war developing around it. And the way that they solved the problem was, or the way that they encouraged people to talk about this in healthy ways was to go to the entire company and say, look, we are going to talk about things like race and money and X and Y and Z. And when we do it, we're going to remind each other that we all contain multiple identities because you might be Christian but you're also a dad and you're also a Seahawks fan. And you're also someone whose kids go to the same school as my kids. And you're someone who loves to hike. And you're someone who is really passionate about surfing. And if I come to you and I'm like, you're just a dad or you're just a Christian, all of a sudden it feels like you've been pigeonholed. Totally. Or just a Democrat or Republican or whatever, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. But on the other hand, if I say, look, you are actually many, many different people. And some of those people are people I'm in common with. And some of those people are people that I don't have much in common with. Yeah, that's awesome. The classic one, right, is you go home for Thanksgiving and your uncle is like saying like crazy, crazy political things at the table. And you're like, what the, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. One thing you can do is to be like, Uncle Jim, you're a racist jerk. That's probably not going to go over so well. Or you can just ignore him or you can try and change the subject. But if you said to him like, you know, Uncle Jim, it's interesting you're saying this because I know you're a vet. You're a Vietnam vet. You're very passionate about this country and you want to see it do its best. I want to see it do its best. I know that you're a dad and I'm a dad. And I know that we both like care a lot about our kids inheriting a better world. And I'm just wondering, like, as we're talking about Trump versus Biden, as a vet and as a dad, how do you think about this? I promise you at that moment, Uncle Jim is not going to say anything crazy. You might not agree with him, right? He might say stuff and you're like, you're like, that's interesting. Let me tell you what I heard you say. I have a different perspective, but you don't have to agree with him. You just have to have a conversation. Yeah. You can have a civil conversation. And I love the example used of the gun laws. I don't have a lot of strong feelings, you know, one way or another, but I hear the different discussions going on and I feel like I could put myself in in both situations. Anyway. Yeah. The gun story is actually like this great story. So there was this group that brought together a bunch of gun rights activists and a bunch of gun control activists, and they put them all together in this room. And the idea was to see, they didn't want them to convince each other. They didn't want them to find common ground. They just wanted to see if they had, could have a civil conversation. And so they taught them this looping for understanding, right? To prove that you're listening. And what they found is that almost everyone in that room, they all agreed on the same basic values. And once I know you care about safety and the way that you preserve safety is by knowing that there's a gun in your house in case an intruder comes in, and I care about safety and the way I preserve safety is I'm worried about my kid getting shot at school. Then suddenly we can communicate with each other. You can have a real discussion. And again, we might not convince each other. We might not agree, but that success in a conversation is not about agreeing. Success in a conversation is about understanding. Which ultimately, if we can have those kinds of discussions can lead to better safety for everyone. Yeah, overwhelmingly. That's so powerful. More so, I love the idea of knowing and having a hope that we can move in a direction of 
less contention, less polarization, more connection. And that's really important because, I mean, the thing that has set this nation apart since its founding is our ability to have conversations. The Constitutional Convention was people who hated each other, getting in a room, having conversations for day after day until they came up with a constitution. And we've been really good at that historically. It's the last like 10 years or so that we've kind of fallen out of practice. And I think it's to the detriment of our lives. And you said how like oral communication has been going on since the beginning of time, right? And so we're a little more like advanced in that, but we're not as good in the online communication because it's still developing, right? We have literally like 4,000 years of practice talking to each other face to face. Mm -hmm. And the first email was sent in 1982. Wild. Like it's not that long ago, right? (laughs) So do you think like online communication will improve? I might assume, right? Yeah, I do. So when, when telephones first became popular, there were all these articles from people who were saying that like the telephone will never be able to replicate face-to-face conversation. It's just so much worse. And if you listen to recordings of early conver- telephone conversations, people sound really formal and stilted. They had trouble talking to each other over the phone. Interesting. But like when you and I were teenagers, by the time we got to our generation, we talked on the phone for hours, right? It's like some of my best conversations have happened over the telephone. Totally. I think what happens is that we learn, we adapt, and we learn how to communicate over new mediums. The key is to recognize, though, that things are different. If you and I were talking to each other face-to-face versus talking to each other just audio, we would do different things. Like, for instance, face-to-face, we would be enunciating our words a little bit less. Like, you don't need to enunciate as much. You're not aware of it. You don't think about that. But when you're on the phone, you enunciate a little bit more because you know that that technology requires it. So the first step is just saying to yourself, look, sending an email to someone is different from writing them a letter is different from giving them a phone call. And so if I'm sending an email, I need to think about what do I need to do in that email that's different from if I gave them a call? Because if you're sarcastic on the phone, they're going to know it right away. And if you're sarcastic in an email, they're probably not going to know about it. So you need to bring a different set of rules for yourself to the email. Enter emojis. Yes. <laughs> right, right, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to convey an entire emotional like drama without using one word. <laughs> yeah. But that is interesting because literally I asked you a question and then I was thinking about it and, and we are introducing more things into our online communication like emojis that do like, it's like smiley face. Oh, they're smiling. Okay. They're joking. You know what I mean? They're, they're being funny. Like <laughs> Totally. Okay, this is Millionaire University. We help people start businesses is the idea, right? Like, I don't think we can leave here at least asking the question, how to become a super communicator? How can that improve our businesses? And for me, I was telling my wife this the other day, I always think this is the number one most important thing, right? But I was having a a discussion with one of my um, partners uh, slash team members. And I told my wife, I was like, you know, there's this constant in a business, like, We're constantly trying to share what helped us be successful or this person be successful. I think the biggest thing that is the most important that no one really talks about because it's not super obvious, but happens every day all the time is this constant feedback communication loop. And it's so hard sometimes because it's so easy to offend. Anytime we get someone feedback, it feels like criticism, right? Like unsolicited feedback is seen as criticism, right? So how do we have these discussions with our team members, with our employees, with our partners. If we don't have them, it's detrimental. And a lot of times you do have them and it doesn't go well. Like, How can we improve these discussions that have to happen? So the number one thing is just make it constant, right? You're exactly right. When you're getting constant feedback, no one piece of feedback feels like an attack. Mm, I love that. So the key is, I I was talking to someone, this this woman who works with teenagers, and she was talking about how do you talk to your kids about sex? Mm -hmm. And she said this thing that I've thought about in a lot of different contexts. She said, you would never in your entire life think that you could tell your kids once, like use your napkin at the dinner table and then assume that pretty much they're going to do that for the rest of their life. Like you tell them again and again and again. Totally. And so when it comes to that talking about sex with them, if you just have one big conversation, they're going to forget it. So like what you do is you just make, you lower the bar to entry. When people are like getting sort of sexy on the screen, you're like, by the way, it doesn't really work like that, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like when they're not showing you, right? The more we do something, the more we lower that bar, uh-huh. the easier it becomes. But then the other part of it is, We work out these little codes to send each other, right? The fact that you guys say to each other, let's use the framework for this. 
what you're really saying is, this is an important conversation. I feel like we're getting heated. Mm -hmm. Let's take a step back and use a system to help us really hear each other. Similarly, in most companies, what you find is this lexicon develops, right? There's these phrases people use with each other. And what the phrases really mean, and they can be anything from like, let's run this up the flagpole, or like, I want you to know you're doing a great job. But what those phrases are saying is, I understand that this is a hard thing we're about to talk about. And I want you to understand that I'm here for you. And so I think the more, like when it comes to this, you're right, because we should definitely have a constant feedback loop. That is the way we improve. And the way that we do that is just by making it a habit, falling into the pattern so that so that it doesn't feel weird when it happens. I love it. And applying all these things we've been talking about, right? Does that ring true to like when you're working with your team, how do you guys get to a place where you can have that constant feedback in a positive way? I mean, I think you nailed it when you said all the time, like one of my number one goals when I bring on a new partner, a new team member is to give them feedback as soon and early as possible. Because at the beginning, we're in this like almost honeymoon stage, right? And you don't want to, you want to like, oh, I'm just getting to know you, you're going to know me and you don't want to offend them. So it's not natural, but then it builds up. And over time, there's things that you wanted to tell them, but you didn't. So they think they're doing great, but then you're not really giving them that feedback. And then it just kind of can blow up. And when you finally do, it feels like an attack. It feels way and, off. Yeah. It's all about normalizing it, right? It's about normalizing the behavior. So it's more awkward in the beginning, but then over time, it's powerful. And something that I've tried to like say in different ways, if it is awkward, like, hey, by the way, I'm constantly giving feedback. Like, I, I love working with you because I know you're so good at taking feedback. And it's really true. Like, I only I try to bring on people who are good at taking feedback. And also, my goal is to make sure, I tell them how hard it is to give feedback. It's so hard to give feedback. So let's just, you give me feedback when you have it. I'll give you feedback when I have it. And it's as hard to take feedback as it is to give feedback. But let's just both agree that we're going to do that. So it's kind of like having that discussion and then doing it. I had a colleague at the New York Times named Adam Bryant, who's written um, a couple of books called The Corner Office, where it's these interviews with CEOs. And Adam puts together an operating manual for himself. Like when he has a new person working with him, he hands them this like three-page document. Here's my quirks. All of us have quirks. All of us have things. Like here's my quirks. So when the quirk happens, you're going to know it's not because of you. It's not because I'm pissed off. It's because this is my weirdness. I love that. Right. And he asked them to do the same thing. He's like, can you go answer these questions for about yourself for me so that I know your quirks? Yes. And I tell them also, I tend to think out loud. I get like overly excited sometimes. And then sometimes I'm maybe this might be insensitive if I say this, but like I literally think I might have some bipolar tendencies, right? But like I can get really excited. And then the next day I'm like, <laughs> uh, I don't really want to do anything, right? I think most people are like that, but I think as an entrepreneur, I'm like extra like that, right? So I, I give them the heads up. I'm like, yeah. I'm really loud. I get excited. Like, I'm not saying not to take me literally, but sometimes maybe just be open to that, right? So, <laughs> anyway, but I love that. Like, just here are my quirks. We all have them. Let's try to work through these. And you talked about that, right? Like, it's like, is that like a social discussion almost? Like, this is who we are. This is who we are, right? Yeah. Oh, that's totally a social discussion. It's like, this is how I relate to other people. This is how like I want to relate to you. This is what I, I might do that if you didn't know it was my quirk, you would think it was weird or scary. But I, I did want to mention one other thing on the business front, which is what actually drives success in business, which is another way of saying what drives success in life. You had mentioned when we were setting up that we we're going to talk to each other, the epilogue of the book. And this, this part about the Harvard happiness study. For folks who aren't familiar with this, Harvard in like 1910 found a group of, of people and tracing them through their entire life and then found their kids and their grandkids and their husbands and wives trying to figure out like who was more successful than others. Not just financial success or professional success, but also like life satisfaction. And what they found is that there was 30 different variables that influenced like you know, if you're healthy, it's a little bit easier. If your parents, if you have a good model for a relationship, it's going to help you stay together, like find the right person for you. But one thing blew every other variable out of the water. And that was how much do people invest in connections? If you hit 45 years old and you start investing in connections, by the time you're 60, you're going to be twice as happy as everyone else. How do we form those connections? And it's not just happy. You're going to be more financially successful. You're going to go farther in your career. And so the question is like, how do we do that? And the answer is conversations. Like the way that we connect with other people, the way that we like 
maintain that connection and find something that we share together is by going to lunch with them or making a phone call or going fishing. Even if you're not talking to each other that much, you're side by side and you're communicating non-verbally. Those conversations that we have, those are the building blocks for how we connect to people. And the more connections we have, not shallow connections, right? Not just because I have 500 friends, so I'm great. But all you need is like a small handful of real connections. If you've got those, you're going to feel like your life is a success. So powerful. This is kind of what we were talking about before, but it's like my whole life. I'm like, hey, I'm going to make money, have the big house. And don't get me wrong, relationships and connections were important to me. But sometimes when you're focused on like a goal, like whether it's you're in a, playing a sport and it's like, I got to win the championship or business. It's like, I got to make this much money. The other people are getting, don't get my way. But it's like, that's why you're doing it, right? That's why you're doing it. And at the end of the day, speaking from someone who has had what might be considered a high level, I mean, depending on who you're talking to, right? <laughs> high level financial or business success or had the big house and traveling the world, whatever. Like I can testify 100% of what you said. And this really hit me really strong in the book when you talked about this. At the end of the day, the number one thing that will bring you the most happiness is those relationships. And the, the ironic thing is it will probably help you also achieve the other things if you have those. But do not miss that. Do not miss. That is the game. Like if, if you're like me and you like to like play the game, that is the game. That is the ultimate game, especially as I'm becoming like passing, hitting that like midlife and I'm like reflecting more on my mortality. It's like the relationships. Like if you have all the money in the world and you don't have those, it's pure misery. And probably everyone listening has had this experience where like you set some goal. Like for me, it was winning the Pulitzer Prize or, you know, like earning money or getting that promotion. And then you get it and you kind of feel like <laughs> let down the next day, right? Like there's a, there's a euphoria, so but then you're much. like, you're like, oh man, like this did not change my life the way that I hoped it to. No. But you know what does change your life? Falling in love with someone. Yes. Like getting married, having kids. Holy. And you never get bored of it. I never get bored of my kids telling me that they love me. Whereas I can have someone tell me that I'm smart a thousand times and I'm going to get bored of it. But having my kids tell me that they love me, that feels great every single time. And it's because when they do it, it's that connection. We're reinforcing that connection. We're building on it. That is the key to happiness and success. So powerful. I'm just going to literally drop this mic right now. <laughs> Charles, this has been amazing. I know I said I was going to say this at the end, but where can people get your book? There's not a lot of books that I recommend, but this book has been amazing. I'm going to study it inside and out. Oh, it's so kind of you to say that. Thank you. Where can they get the book? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the name of the book is Super Communicators. It's in wherever you buy books, Amazon, there's audio on Audible, Barnes and Nobles, you know, your local bookseller, your indie bookseller, which is a great place to buy books. Your library has it. And if you want to find me, if you just Google Super Communicators or The Power of Habit, which is the uh, an earlier book I wrote, or just Charles Duhigg, my website will come up. And my email address is on my website. It's charles at charlesduhigg.com is my email address. And every email I get, I read and respond to. So every reader email, not, not the spam. I don't, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. Every <laughs> don't spam email. him. If you don't spam him, he'll respond. <laughs> yeah. K kind of for this very reason that like making connection, like if somebody spends time actually reaching out to me, I want to reach back to them. And so I would encourage anyone to reach out. That's awesome. Charles, this has been an honor. I've learned a ton. I followed your work for a long time. I was pumped when you reached out and the conversation has been even better than I imagined. So Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. We hope to have you on again another time. And we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Let's give it up for Charles Duhigg. Was that not incredible or what? When I got this episode back from my editor, he thanked me and said, you have no idea how much value I got from editing that episode. Now, if your editor tells you he got a ton of value, you know it's good. I just want to thank Charles again for reaching out and giving me, giving us this opportunity to learn from the countless hours and years of research that he has done in his life, let alone just for this book. And I have no doubt that it will change many lives. Now, I'm not one to recommend a ton of books, but this is one you're going to want to get. So go wherever you like to consume books the most, whether it's Audible or online, and get your copy now. As for me, I've got a jam. We have got a train to catch. We are currently in Barcelona. We've had two amazing weeks in Spain, and we'll now be traveling the French Riviera for a couple weeks on our way to Italy.
Remember, you are the captain of your ship. You make the rules for your life. It's up to you. You can live whatever kind of life you want. As I'm sitting here recording this and looking out the window, there's this building called Sagrada Familia. This is an incredible building that a man by the name of Antonio Gaudi had the vision of creating, and they've been constructing it for 140 years. And it's still not done. They say it could take another 10 years or so. It's beautiful. It's insane. It's very unique. But what's so cool is I can literally see it being constructed one brick at a time. But this amazing world-renowned masterpiece was created because one person had a vision of what was possible. And it's not a secret. It's not magic. It's just something they're building one stone at a time, day by day. They're putting in the work. And business and your life is no different. Now, creating an amazing business does not take 150 years, but it does take time and it does take patience. But if you have a vision, you know where you want to go, you focus on solving a problem and giving value to others, focus on something that you're passionate about, be aware that it's not going to be easy. You're not going to be passionate about everything that you do within the business. Getting the message out to other people is not always easy, but it's so, so much better than the alternative. And if you keep doing those things, consistent and persistent actions every day, just chunking away every day. We've done it before in several different businesses. We've helped many business owners do the same thing. And then now with Millionaire University, we just see it every day, just chunking away bit by bit. And we're seeing the growth. We're seeing the difference. And it's just been incredible. So believe in yourself, but even more importantly, just do it. Think less, do more. Take the steps you got to take. Consistent and persistent, effective action, aka doing the things that are going to help you drive revenue, revenue, cash, capital, money. That is the oxygen. That is the lifeblood of your business. That's where you got to focus. And that's where most people struggle focusing, but focus on those things and you'll get there. Oh, also, I have a very special, exciting announcement to make. Speaking of growing one brick at a time, next week, once again, we will be expanding our curriculum. We will be releasing lessons, aka podcast episodes, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So three lessons, three episodes, three classes each and every single week. And we have some incredibly exciting, amazing guests and episodes coming up. I can't wait to share those with you. So until next time, get out there. Keep taking action where it counts. You've got this. We believe in you. Believe in yourself. You got one life to live, so go make it happen. If you like this episode, be sure to share with a friend. Remember to pick up the book, Super Communicators. There's nothing more important you can learn than communication. Check out millionaireuniversity.com slash training to get our free business training course. Until next time, this is Justin Williams, your chief money-making officer signing off from Barcelona, Spain. Class dismissed.